0: The last thing that I have to do up here, or I get to do up here, is introduce our guest speaker, Lucas Turner. So Lucas and Lindsay uh, were with us for I think three years or so. That he they were part of our church family. Uh, Lucas did an internship with us uh, when he. And Lindsay showed up, they had Craig, they added Darby along the way, and now after they've moved back to Texas, they have recently added George as well, so we're keeping uh, the the family growth, uh, the church growth strategy going there uh, in Texas as well. So Lucas is uh, an officer in the reserves for the Army, and he is a a pastor of a college ministry down in Texas, and so um, we're so grateful to have you worshiping with us this morning, Um, and I, I started introducing you too soon. I should do the scripture reading, so if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word? I feel like Lucas is looking over my shoulder to make sure I'm doing this right as we get going here. Awesome. All right, so the reading this morning comes from uh, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Lucas, thanks for being here, man. Yeah. All
1: right. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's give Cobalt a hand. There we go. Here you go. I'll leave
0: that
1: right there. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm doing okay. I don't want to blow out the speakers. There we go. Uh, well, good morning. It is great to be with you all. Uh, I've know a few of you. Uh, every time I come back, it's a it's a smaller sliver because people move off and and go do their go do their thing. And so it's it's good to see new faces and old as well. I'll give you that. That's a great book, by the way. I, I read that once while deployed, and my soldiers gave me a hard time. They're like, "You're reading a girl book." I'm like, "Man up and just read it. It's a great book. So go for it." All right. Well. <clears throat> Uh, you know, I'm actually in town. This week, I'm at a conference in Denver for a bunch of theology nerds. We're going to just uh, you know, present papers and, and go have dinners and stuff, so a lot of fun here. And so I tried to recruit Colbert to say, hey, man, it's very close. I would love for you to be able to come up to that. He had a scheduling commitment, but he just happened to say, well, hey, why don't you come preach down here? So I guess the moral of the story is that Colbert's a way better recruiter than I am. Um, I noticed a couple of things. Uh, first off, uh, I someone came, you know God provided someone that was in the area the Sunday after Election Day, so I'm sure Colbert was like, "Yep, uh, we'll let a guest preach uh, there." Um, and uh, what is it? We also just had Veterans Day, so uh, as a veteran for other veterans, uh, thank you so much uh, for all that you have done for us, so uh, hitting all these big ones, right? But also, like, we got to really talk about the big elephant in the room, right? We went back to Texas to ensure that the Astros could actually go and win another World Series, so all is right in the world. We are big Astro fans, and uh, it's been a lot of fun for that. So uh, a little short update on us. You all probably know Lindsay and myself and Craig and Darby. We did have George. I think we got a picture of him up there, so that's, that's in Halloween. Halloween this past past year, so they're growing they're fun uh, really good, so we had a bat, so we had a skeleton and a unicorn uh, so all sorts of fun there now we did notice this, this is a little weird or not, you know maybe odd every year that we've had a boy and named him after someone related to the Astros, the Astros have gone on to win the World Series. so really the debate right now with Lindsay and I is like is it responsible to have twelve kids fifteen like, like how committed are we to trying to, to trying to pull this off no. But but really, it's great to be here with you all. I'm, I'm excited to spend some time in the Word. So if you have a Bible, please go ahead and open it up to Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two. So, uh, like Colbert said, I'm I'm the minister for college and young adults at a uh, at a Baptist church in Central Texas, right off Interstate 35. And we spent this entire fall semester. Their semester is like almost done. They they finish up in a couple days because they start very early, and then they just don't come back for Thanksgiving. It's kind of a unique schedule. But we just finished up uh, going through the entire book of Galatians. And the big idea for the entire sermon series that we went through is the simple idea comes from Galatians chapter one. There is no other gospel. There is no other message. of, of true meaning, of, of hope, of morality. Uh, there, there's nothing else outside of the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. If I have to clear my throat My oldest son does not share many things, but he shared a cold with me last week, so he was very kind to do that. Um, But no, so uh, I I wanted to go through, we we really enjoyed our time in Galatians chapter 2. That was a really kind of pivotal moment for our ministry. We had a lot of folks that were really convicted by the truths that we encountered there, so I wanted to kind of explore that again a little bit with you all here. So as as we're kind of getting settled in, the question I have is, has anyone here ever had a bad dream, you know? And I'm sure you're probably all thinking, like, of course we all have. Has anyone had a bad dream recently that, you know, like you wake up with and it's just, it's visceral. You feel it. You feel a sense of, of dread or, or, or hurt or, or, you know, some sort of emotional attachment. I mean, it just, it feels real. That's the, that's the description that you often hear from people. Our oldest, Craig, the, the co chair, he's actually starting to go through, like, the first little wave of night terrors, and we're kind of dealing with that for the first time. But he's realizing, like, when you sleep, sometimes your brain just continues on with a certain amount of activity, and it, it's hard to deal with. But we're, we're going to kind of see a little bit of a, of a dream or, or a thought that should haunt in, in, a, in a healthy way, but also one that keeps a healthy dose of reality for who we are as Christians and the lives that we are called to live in the light of the gospel. So why do we need to hear from Galatians chapter 2? Um, well, Colbert said that y'all just finished like over a year in the book of Acts, and so I didn't want to go back into Acts. Uh, but we're actually going to refer to that a couple of times, so hopefully there's a level of familiarity. But, but the reason that we need to hear from this, this text is that those who have been declared justified in Christ, believers, Christians, and those who have not yet uh, become Christians, they both struggle with the same thing. They struggle with hypocrisy at some point or another in their lives. We also live in this weird kind of tension of, of uh, you know, cultural and ethnic separation and, and tensions that, that have historically happened in our, in our nation's history, in the world history. And so a lot of times you'll hear words like, you know, ists or isms, you know, say that you're, you know, you're, you're into this ism or, or you are a blank ist. Um, and you're going to see that sometimes that's true. That applies to us. We're going to see that apply here in the scriptures today. And, you know, uh, the, the way that we're going to see that Jesus is the solution to that problem, the way that Jesus redeems that situation is that he, where we struggle with this idea of kind of a harmony of how our truth and how our lives uh, actually interact with one another, Jesus is the perfect harmony of truth and life. And, and his life and his death was more than enough to fulfill and, and, and to remove any tension that we might feel between what we believe and how we act and then if the truths that we encounter today, you know, actually, in, you know, engage us and cause us to go out and live like they are true, then we should be characterized by our tolerance of people. We, we should be loving people, people that don't uh, build up man-made barriers to separate us from other people. We should be the most in, culturally engaged folks out there because we know that the commonality of the gospel has, has removed any kind of barriers between people who were uh, as far away from each other as they could be but now have a common hope and a common identity in Jesus. So the sermon title today is A Straight Talk Leads to a Straight Walk. Straight talk leads to a straight walk. Right belief about God will result in his people living rightly as well. Our our ability to obey God is grounded in what we know of him and and in his good news, in his gospel. The gospel is our grounds for being able to joyfully and, and consistently obey Christ. So we're going to have plenty of time to dive into the text, but would you first uh, mind joining me for a moment of prayer? Let's pray. God, um, I thank you so much for this time to come back to, uh, come back to a family. Um, just uh, names and faces and uh, friends that w- we've seen uh, over the years, and it's been a couple years um, since we've seen so many it 's amazing to see the changes and, and uh, you know just how kids have grown and, and uh, people have uh, just kind of kind of grown together over time and it 's beautiful to see I hope that this church knows um, from from an outsider coming in that uh, they are faithfully pursuing you and, and i 'm just really encouraged for that. I hope that the the pastors and the elders and, and the deacons all know that. Um, let them be encouraged for the work that you have called them to do it 's wonderful to see. Uh, even for one little sliver on a Sunday. I pray that this time that we encounter your word is one that that changes us, that we don't uh, just stay here, that we go out and live uh, for the rest of the week like it's actually true. Help us to understand that that a straight talk can lead to a straight walk. Um, I pray that you uh, help me maintain my voice. I don't lose my voice, Uh, but also that you help me uh, just step aside from this process and let your Holy Spirit speak to us powerfully this morning. God, we love you so much. We trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, so we'll, we'll kind of walk through how the, how the text progresses, but when, you, when you're dropping right into the middle of a passage, you have to give at least a little bit of context for what's been going on. So if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians or you've never really gone through it, the, the basic idea is that Paul was a church planter who set up some, some churches or a church in uh, the region of Galatia. And, and so he uh, has since moved on, continued some of his missionary journeys that y'all encountered in the book of Acts, and, and he got some level of a report, some something uh, that told him that a new group of people, a new group of leaders called the Judaizers have come in and said... Well, the gospel is good, and you do need to believe that, but you also need to maintain a certain level of, of Jewish cultural practice. Um, I mean, I'll just say it. The awkward word is, I mean, it comes up in the text many times. Is it, you, know, you have to observe circumcision in order to be a Christian. And, and so that, this is what uh, Paul heard to say, uh, you know, I've got to sit down. I've got to write this letter. I've got to talk to them. Usually he's very uplifting and and happy when he uh, talks to someone in a letter. And, and, you know, he kind of says, hey, it's Paul. How's it going? And then just, bam, he hits him with a sledgehammer right out of the gate. He's very frustrated with him. I mean, and he's saying he's bewildered at a certain point. And so here he's really going to get to some of the most important verses, some familiar verses for uh, several people here. But but some that we still need to hear as we start to dive in. So he's... um, affirmed his apostolic authority, he, he's talked a little bit about a previous journey that he had in front of the other apostles to the city of Jerusalem, and now he's going to talk, starting in verse 11, about an incident that happened between him and another pillar of the early church. So we're going to pick up in verse 11. And the first thing that we're going to see is we're, we're, we're progressing in each one of our sections today. We're, we're progressing from, from one thing to another, from, from straight talk to a straight walk. And now we're going to see in the first few verses, we're going from hypocrisy to humility, from hypocrisy to humility. Let's read starting in verse 11. But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So we're going from hypocrisy to humility in this text. The gospel reveals our hypocrisy, reveals how we we differ in what we should do versus what we actually do. But we need to constantly pull ourselves away and not live like that is actually true. And if you think about it, you know, when you go to preaching school, you know, they say, you know, give, give the truths and then give some application at the, at the end. Well, we're kind of starting backwards. We're going to start with some application and see what went wrong and then kind of ground that in some theological truths. So this is not the first time that they have met. The first time they met was after Paul's conversion, after a period of, of isolation and, and kind of um, just coming to terms with the fact that he encountered the risen Lord. Paul goes to Jerusalem. It's, counted, or it's recounted in early the earlier part of chapter 2. And, and they, they say, we, we just want to make sure we're all on the same page. We want to make sure that the gospel that we are preaching, the gospel that we are discipling others with, that we are, that we are putting our, you know, the weight of our entire lives on, is actually true and valid. And, and, and Paul received that validation. They said, yes, what you are teaching is good. Go out, go plant, go go on these missionary journeys that take up several parts of the book of Acts. But now we see a little bit of a change of scenery. This, this first meeting happened in Jerusalem, this is, you know, obviously the home of the Jewish faith. This is uh, kind of the, the capital city. So this is where Peter, who's been called to serve to, gen, uh, to Jews, feels right at home. This is, this is his territory. But now we're going on the road. It's a road game. He, he's, he's going out to Antioch where, where um, you know, we know that the Jewish population was not nearly as predominant. But it's also one that, that Paul was more comfortable in. It's the first place that, that, you know, the followers of the way were actually called Christians. Who were called Christians the, for the first time. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, now you're, you're coming into my territory, and hopefully we'll, we'll see how that interacts. And very quickly, you see, it doesn't go well. It, it's, I'll be polite, I'll, I'll obey the, the customs of, of, of the people, of the guests, or the, the people that are hosting me, but as long as I'm able to save face, you know, I'll I'll break a couple rules. I'll I'll skirt a little bit of what I know I shouldn't be doing, you know, as a Jew. Uh, And then all of a sudden, when there's a little bit more of a public audience, when other people come from James, another one of the pillars of the early church, they come in and say, well, what's going on here? He very quickly distanced himself and he says, well, that's not me. I, I, you know, I I was, I was just helping out a little bit or, you know, it's not what it looks like. And and that's that, you know, he's very quickly showing that Um, this idea, this this supposed unity that he was willing to, to preach about was not one that he was actually willing to put into practice. Now, I know what you might be thinking, the, the, the letter is written talking about you know, the, the Jewish rite of circumcision, but you know, it's, we're talking here about just simply eating a meal together. It seems a little bit like a stretch, like how can we equate the one versus the other? But the, real, the root idea that's happening in this instance, as is happening in the entire Galatian church, the idea is that if you're not Jewish, then you're not enough. If you don't keep my rules, you're not good enough to be in the club. You're not good enough to be a member of our little secret society. And and, and Paul is just taking a sledgehammer to that idea. He's saying that there is no other gospel than the fact that Jesus came, lived and died and was raised again. And that's all it takes. Just putting your faith and hope and trust in that. That is all that it takes. And you are in. He'll use a lot uh, more language later on in the book of Galatians. Talking about the adoption that we have. Seeing each other as brothers and sisters. And so he doesn't really have a lot of time for someone who's willing to, to you know, put that on the side or say, eh, I didn't really mean that. You know, I might have said it, or, you know, I might have sounded good, but when, when, uh, when the rubber hits the road, I, I, I can't really uh, be seen in a certain crowd. And so how does Paul deal with it? You know, uh, there's a specific practice that Jesus gives us whenever one brother sins to another. It starts out with an interpersonal, just a one-on-one interaction that might need to escalate up the, the church discipline process. But he says right here, you know, this was a public sin, and so it requires a, a bit of a public rebuke. It requires, hey, I'm going to talk to you, but everyone else needs to hear this. We, we need to hear this basic truth. He's saying, how how can you be such a hypocrite? How can you you have such a difference in what you believe and what you actually practice? It's another way of saying your your theology should have a certain amount of consequences in what you believe. You know, when when I'm counseling uh, our our college students all the time, you know, I I usually try to drill in three basic truths. I, I tell them that God is in control, that God is good, and that God loves them. And usually there's some level of a, of a struggling to believe or hold on to one of those truths that's causing whatever misbalance. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with grades. I, you know, I, I can't keep a relationship or, um, you know, I deal with anger all the time. Usually it's rooted in one of those three things. And so there's something similar here. I, I'm struggling to actually believe that these things are true and good enough for me to put my weight on them. And, and, and I love, I love this uh, little bit right here. Uh, in verse 14 it says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, with the truth of the gospel. And so it, it, when you really kind of break that down into the original language, it's, it's simply, Paul loves to like you know, just jam words together and say, here's a new word. And so it's always fun for translators. But basically he says, they were not straight walking. They were not ortho walking. And if you think about it, we're familiar with the word ortho uh, applying to something being straightened. I think I grabbed a picture here. Uh, of a of a guy getting braces on, so uh, who puts those on? An, an orthodontist, right? A straight toother—that's literally what what it means. And so, uh, someone that does that is literally bringing bringing a level of, of you know order to something that's misordered. Where, where teeth should be growing straight and they're not. Sometimes an orthodontist will help help them straighten out. And so that's what Paul is doing here. When I saw that they weren't straight walking, ortho walking, then I needed to I needed to kind of. Uh, say, let, let's have a huddle here. Let's talk this through. Another way that this kind of comes out is our orthopraxy comes out of our orthodoxy. You know, our right practice only comes when it's grounded in right belief. And so how should we, like, how should we live, how, how should we be willing to, uh, to engage as if these, uh, these verses have some level of meaning to us? They, they don't just apply to the Galatians 2,000 years ago. Well, I think the first one is that we need to be proactively humble as Christians. We, we, we need to cultivate some level of humility and, and, and I believe that humility falls either through internal uh, or sorry, hypocrisy falls either through internal or external humility. You, you might prepare beforehand and, and remind yourself of who you are not because of who God is. You remember, uh, God is God and I am not. That's a good way to proactively do it, but sometimes it might be an external humility. It might be what Peter is experiencing here where he is being humiliated, being humbled for who he is in light of the truth of the gospel. We need to cultivate a uh, humility that beats hypocrisy to the punch. And this is the hard one. If need be, we need to be willing to have hard conversations with other brothers and sisters who are not ortho walking, who are are not walking straight in line with the truth of the gospel. You know, we we had a young man uh, in in our group that was uh, just dealing with a a severe, severe anger problem, um, and, and, and he just didn't realize it. He, he, he thought it was all fine. He didn't understand why everyone else was treating him a little oddly. And so we just had to have a hard conversation. One of the other pastors and myself, we, we sat him down and said, man, th- this, is, this is misordered. This is misguided. We want to bring you back in to get away from this anger and, and, and to really focus again on the gospel message itself. We need to be willing to have those conversations. That, that, is, that is a good and, and right thing to do, but that doesn't mean it's easy. So be encouraged. Know that humility is going to come one way or the other, either from the inside or from the outside. And and it's because the brothers and sisters among us have been charged with that call to instill humility in one another. So that's the first section. That's the the first part. We've seen hypocrisy change into humility. But for straight talk to lead to a straight walk, we're going to get uh, really into the straight talk, the, the truth of the matter in verses 15 and 16. From there, we're going to see a progression from works to faith. We're going to go from works to faith. Let's start in verse 15. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, nobody will be justified. Okay, we are going from works to faith. Righteousness is, is through faith alone, not through works and not through any combination of the two. You know, um, I know Colbert has a construction background uh, with his dad. Uh, anyone familiar with construction, like the idea of a load-bearing wall? So I mean if you watch enough HGTV you also know what a load-bearing wall is cuz everyone wants like no one ever says I want more walls in my house they they always want fewer walls it's always fun to see but but a load-bearing wall is one that you cannot take out from the structure without it you know sustaining severe damage or maybe even collapsing in on itself I believe that verses 15 and 16 are load-bearing verses for the entire letter of Galatians the the, the book of Galatians would not be the same were it not for these two verses. He's taking a sledgehammer to the idea that you can save yourself by some mixture of works and faith. So starting in the beginning right there in verse 15, it says, we ourselves, I think he's kind of transitioning from this Peter and Paul narrative, this is more of a, you and I, we know this, we're, we're Jews by birth. You know, uh, Peter, or Paul has the, the most uh, exemplary resume that anyone in the Jewish community could have. And he says, but that's not enough. That is not what actually makes us um, non-sinners. That, that doesn't make us any better than the Gentile sinners. We know that a person is justified not by their works of the law, but through faith in Christ alone. Oh, I should have turned my page right there. And so in verse 16, you really start to see this, this foreshadowing, that, that it's, a, it's a theme, it's a thread that he's going to develop throughout the next couple of chapters of this consistent tension between the law and the gospel. Mark, Martin Luther was a, a you know, historic reformer who really held to this law and gospel dynamic. It said, the law method is saying, I can keep it uh, all to myself. I, I can maintain the rules. I, I, can, I can hold myself to a standard of holiness that is good enough uh, for God to accept me. There's a couple fatal flaws to that idea. I've told this to our students so many times. The first one is, uh, you know, when you say that uh, I can keep the law well enough for God to accept me, what you're really saying is I can keep the law well enough for God to owe me. God needs to God needs to let me into the club. God, you know, I will be disappointed if God does not accept me and into His family. And at that point, you, the question really is who's in control? Who, who's actually God in the relationship? And then the other one that I keep saying is. We don't really believe that we can hold to the righteousness, to the perfect standard that God has given. What we really believe when we say that we want to be log keepers is I can just do it better than the person next to me. You know, it's that idea of like, uh, you know, you don't need to, you know, if you encounter a bear in the woods, you don't need to be the, uh, faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than your buddy right next to you, which is horrible friendship advice, by the way. Um, but also, it's how we approach righteousness sometimes. It's like, as long as I'm, you know, more righteous uh, than him, as long as my family has it more put together than our neighbor's family, then I think that'll be enough. But but God is not a bear. God's righteousness uh, is able to keep up with all of our unrighteousness. So when we try to put it on ourselves, when we try to proclaim our salvation by being good enough, Paul's saying that's not enough. That's not even just a misconstrual of the gospel. That's a false gospel altogether. And and again, there's this foreshadowing of how much the law is going to crush those who try to say, I'm going to go the law path. I'm going to go the non-Jesus way. And and, and we see it throughout the scriptures. In James 2.10, he says that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Think about that. If If you go and read all the Old Testament law, there's over 600 of them. If you mess up in one of them, you're under the weight of the entire bit. If that is your method of saving yourself. And this isn't just the apostles that are saying this. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, uh, verse 19. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So when we sign up and say, you know what? I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that that's good enough to save me. But I'm going to get a little extra credit. I'm just going to try just a little bit harder. You're negating the entire thing. You're saying it's not good enough. And I love this. If you're the kind that like to write in your Bibles or mark things, look at the, in verse 16, there's a repetition of both positive and negative things here. Paul is really hammering home one point. The positive is that we are justified by faith alone in Christ. We are saved by faith alone in Christ. And then he says it three times, not by works of the law. It is not through works of the law. No one will be justified through works of the law. He's just repeating time and time again these truths. Stop trying to save yourself this way and, and remember the truth and the hope that we have in Christ alone. And so what does this mean? I mean, I've kind of hinted at it a little bit already. There's no gospel plus. There, there's, no, no, there's no thing, there's nothing that you could add to the gospel to make it more applicable to your situation that, that, could, that could somehow make you look a little bit better in front of God or in front of others. And so it, it, as I was trying to figure out how could we apply this truth, I loved kind of the repetition that you have here. The It's not by this, but it's by this. And I'll admit, I'm plagiarizing uh, from someone named Colbert because he preached this example like three years ago, and it's always stuck with me. Um, there's a powerful scene in the movie Good Will Hunting where, where this, this really troubled but brilliant young man is finally coming to terms with the fact with one of his therapists that, that he suffered childhood abuse, that, that, he was, um, that he was physically abused or something like that. Uh, and, and finally, the therapist realizes he, he's cutting through all of that. And so uh, the therapist, Robin Williams, uh, just tells him the first time, hey, it's not your fault. And he says, "Well, yeah, yeah, no, I know it was, it was that other guy." He's like, "No, no, no, it's not your fault." And he's like, I, "Yeah, I get that. No, it's not your fault." He's like, "What are you? What are you doing? Like, why are you actually, like this? Hey, it's not your fault. And he just keeps repeating that idea time and time again, and eventually just cuts through. I mean, you know, it's hard not to tear up. I mean, it's just, it breaks through all of, that, all of that pride, all of that arrogance, and he's broken. I mean, he, he finally realizes that it wasn't his fault that he was abused, and, and, and he, uh, it's a real kind of turning point in that narrative. We need to be willing to, in, in a similar way, repeat these truths. It's not because of me. It's not because of my works. It's because of what Jesus did on my behalf it 's not because of how great i am it 's because of how great Jesus was already you know we, we need to just try to try to you know, write down or even speak out loud what exactly happened on the cross for our behalf. Memorize verses that encapsulate the gospel memorize uh, you know Galatians 2.16, if you're looking to start somewhere, and just repeat that to yourself time and time again. We memorize scripture so we can fight the devil's lies later on in the day. And, and this is a way that we can arm ourselves and repeat that idea. That's how we go from works to faith, how, how we let good truths, how, how we let straight talk lead to straight walk, to, to walking and following God well. But then, let's go to the final point. Let's go to verses 17 to 21. And here's kind of this, the, the world-changing aspect, the life-changing aspect for those who are in Christ. We go from death to life. I know what you're thinking. I'm not dead. What, what, what happened? We're talking spiritually. Um, we'll we'll kind of uh, navigate that in just a minute. But from death to life, that's a major, major progression in the Christian life. It's, it's the starting point. Oop, my phone's on. Uh, I'll make sure that turns off. Um, so starting in verse 17. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We go from death to life, and the lives that we live must not invalidate the death that Jesus died on our behalf. That's that nightmare scenario where we should say, am I invalidating what Jesus did? On my behalf, there's good news. There's actual true assurance out there. We'll get to that in just a second. I think Paul is is asking a pastoral question. He's he's kind of heading off a question that someone might have while they're reading these truths. He says, "What happens if I'm I'm still a sinner? What happens if I still struggle? Does that mean that Jesus saved me so I could be a sinner still?" And, and the answer is, you know, certainly not. Let it, let it never be true. You know, he, he's, he's really trying to give us an assurance that's not built on what we're able to rebuild or, or put in place. It, it's not saying, you know, you're actually okay. You're not as bad as others. Uh, but it's really saying, you know, our assurance is the fact that the old person, the, the, the one that was alive before I encountered Christ... That person is not, you know, like kind of lurking behind me. It's not like this, you know, I've got like an angel and, and, a, and a devil on, on the shoulders that are arguing back and forth. It's, it's not any of those comic illustrations. The idea is that the person that you were before you encountered Christ is dead. I mean, they are dead. They are six feet under. They are not coming back. We might struggle. We might have some habits that feel like that old person, but we are a new creation in Christ. I mean, he says right there in verse 19, it's why we pulled from Romans chapter 6 as well. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might turn around and live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, I, I preached at another uh, church or uh, campus event a few weeks ago, and we did John three three, where we just really encountered, truly, truly, I say to, say to you again, you must be born again. You, you must have a new life, a new birth. You must be a new creation, uh, you know, the restored image that God has placed in you. That is what happens when we actually place our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ, And so Paul loves to use this idea of death and life being our state before and after the gospel. You can find it in Romans, you can find it in Philippians, you can find it in Colossians, you can find it in Ephesians. It's throughout a lot of his letters, this idea of spiritual death turning around to spiritual life. And remember, when we trust in Jesus' work, we're trusting in something that is already done. We're not saying, Jesus, I hope you can save me. We're We're not saying, I hope it turns out okay. We're saying, no, what you did was enough what you did was the world changing event where god became man and, and and was willing to to carry sins that were not his own up to the cross and and, and the, the dead or the, the the dead parts of us the, the parts that were in, wrapped up in sin they were crucified with him and, and and they are no more and and then when we trust in Jesus's work we're saying that the, the righteousness that we also have when we live to, to uh, when we live in Christ uh, or the, sorry uh, when I live by faith in the Son of God we are living with a new lens with a new understanding of who we are. There's a, there's a historic kind of theological term, you know, the $5 theological word. The, it's called imputation. And so the, the first way that we believe imputation is true is that we say Jesus imputed our sins. He took our sins upon himself, took them to the cross, and, and, and they're gone. So if you think about it as like a balance sheet, you know, if here's, neg- or here's neutral and here are all of our negative sins, he got us up to neutral. He, he, got, he, he removed the debt. He removed, he covered them. He washed them away. Whatever language you want to use, they're no longer in effect. But we're gonna go a little further here. I also believe in something called double imputation because I think it's right here in the text. It's not only are our sins removed; it's not only are uh, you know are we clean from those. But now, when God looks at us, he sees the infinite righteousness of Christ. He sees someone that that is holy and and pure and lovely in his sight. Christian self-esteem is one that's much higher than we often like to cultivate. Because God sees you, and when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ within you. You need to hear that time and time again. There's a... A simple little illustration here. It's called the, the great exchange. And, uh, you know, if you ever wanted to, to share your faith with someone and just sketch it out and say, this is what I believe happened at the cross. And this could be the case for you. that The sins went to the, to the son and then his righteousness came to us. It's a simple way to illustrate what unrighteousness or what righteousness, what, what, what the, the great exchange was when sinners actually placed their faith and trust in Christ alone. So how do we live and how do we like, actually go and live this afternoon or, or, or during this week like that is true? I, I think it's kind of a bigger thread throughout the entire sermon. It's, it's be willing to, to, to stop, to, to find true rest, to, to, to take a pause from, from doing something. If you think that that thing is somehow going to earn God's favor just a little bit more, if that's going to make you more appealing by his standards, just, just rest and, and know that God is the one that is constantly at work, and we do not always have to be. Even from good things, even from uh, hopeful and true and beautiful things, we can take a pause because our God is the one who never stops working in and among his people. So as we wrap up today, you know, we need to understand that we have gone from a straight talk, hopefully, to a straight walk. I, I hope that orthodoxy leads to ortho to straight walking. Jesus lived a life and died a death for a very specific purpose, one that has powerful effects for those who have placed their entire lives on what he did. It makes us from hypocrites into humble people. We go from hypocrisy to true humility. We don't have to present ourselves as having it all together. We can actually be free to serve others with true humility and and, and with true uh, humbleness. You know We can move from our natural desire to to work out or or try to work for our salvation and instead trust that what Jesus did was better than anything we could ever do on our own. Jesus did everything necessary to free us from the slavery of sin and freely offer salvation to those who would simply believe in him. A, A slavery and freedom dynamic is one that Paul really explores in the second half of Galatians. You are no longer slaves, but you are free to follow Christ with everything you've got. And then finally... We move from death to life. As basic as it gets, the work done on the cross does not make good people better, but it brings the dead back to life. No other gospel. There's no other good news other than what Jesus has done for his people. And that is the same good news for which we worship him today. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for the fact that um, you do not leave it up to us to make ourselves worthy or good enough um, or... Uh, able to earn your approval um, because we never could. It'd be a crushing expectation and, and you've graciously sent your son to, to do what we never could on our behalf. I pray for those who, who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus that um, that, that, is, that is just something that they constantly recite to themselves, that they remember that it was not, it was not us but, but in Christ within us. For someone here who might be on the fence and, and is, isn't sure how they, how they feel about this, I, I hope they understand that um, at some level we, we, we try to hold ourselves up on our own merits, on our own works, on our own deeds, and, and, and it'll never be enough. Help us to, to just break through with a, a wonderful message of your overwhelming grace, your love, your mercy, and your kindness to, to those who look to the Savior and say, He is mine. God, we love you so much. We trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, one thing that we imported from Colorado to Texas in our college ministry was uh, discussion questions. So uh, I, believe me, the first couple times that I did it, they looked at me like I had horns growing out of my head. But now they really love it. They, they love having some time to really engage and, and ask a couple of questions that, that are kind of based on the sermon and just see you know, how that applies in each and every one here. So we, so we do that here. I say we. Uh, Missy O'Day does that here, and it, it's wonderful to see. Um, and so uh, we'll take a few minutes. What is it, five to ten minutes or so? Yeah, and uh, we'll turn in to, to tables. And so we have a couple questions here. The first one is, have you ever had one of those hard conversations with someone about not walking in line with the truth of the gospel? Or maybe has someone had that with you? How, how did it go? Um, the second one is, what do you think might be your plus to the gospel? What are the things you might have encountered where you say, I, I just want to add that little bit of extra spice to, to make it uh, a little more appealing? And then finally, what does it mean that Jesus not only took away your sins, but he also gave you his righteousness? That double imputation idea. So take a few minutes. We'll we'll spend some time in conversation, and then we'll gather back together for some more time in worship. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, I hope your discussions went well. Uh, a lot of good stuff to discuss there. Uh, it's such a great message, good reminder from Lucas. Um, it's such a, such a privilege to be uh, have the sermon brought by a, a good friend of mine and has, does such a wonderful job preaching the good news. And this, this concept that he talked about, the, the idea of uh, the straight uh, talk leads to a straight walk, this The gospel that Paul presents in Galatians is the most important message in the universe, Um, and it is so counterintuitive to everything that we think, like that question of what are you tempted to add to the gospel. We all have something that we want to look to and think that we will be right with God because of this. And for most people, for most of us, it's the idea that, well, because I am a good person, God owes me. I think that's a really good way to phrase that, this idea of, like, God is in our debt because I put in my behavior, now he owes me salvation. And so this is something that is, you can never spend enough time meditating on those truths, like like Lucas reminded us today. Um, I I think I um, I grew up, I didn't think, I knew I grew up in a Christian home with great Godly parents who uh, proclaimed the gospel to me. (laughs) Yeah, the jury's still out. I think I'm pretty sure it was a believing family. Um, No, and um, just they—they told me these truths my entire life. Um, I grew up at a church that preached the gospel. I uh, professed faith in Jesus at a young age. It wasn't until I was in seminary as a 25-year-old, like going to school to be a pastor, listening to a sermon on Galatians, that I was like, "Oh my gosh." Like, God loves me because he loves me, because of what Jesus did, not because of what I have done. And so, so I think we can, a lot of times, we can think we understand the gospel, and we still go back to relying on works instead. And I think that's why this message was so important today, to be reminded of the fact that we are not saved by our works. Like, like, um, like Paul says in verse 16. And so um, Martin Luther has this famous quote where he says that the reason why he preaches justification by faith alone every week is because every week we are prone to forget it. And so that's one of the reasons why we do communion every week here as a church, is we need that tangible reminder that I was looking to something other than Jesus this week for justification. Right? I was relying on my own works. I was relying on, on something else, looking for satisfaction outside of Jesus. And when we come to the table, when you take the bread, you're reminded that Jesus' body was broken for you. When you take the juice, you're reminded that Jesus' blood was shed for you, and it's only in his broken body and in his shed blood that we can find salvation. It's not by our works. It's only by his grace, And so if this is something that you have never uh, processed, that you've never received uh, the grace of God freely, we would love to pray with you this morning. My wife Kelly and I will be in that back corner. We would love to, to pray. Um, and for the rest of us who have put our faith in Jesus, uh, this time of communion, uh, really spend some time meditating on, on the truths that Lucas reminded of us today, that you are loved not because of anything you can do to earn God's love, but because of what Jesus did for you. You have been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but he lives through you. So if you are able, please stand with me, and I'll say a word of prayer as we uh, uh, go this morning. uh, We're going to spend some time worshiping through song. We're going to worship through prayer, uh, through the taking of communion, uh, and all these things. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for time together as a church family where we can be reminded uh, that you love us enough to send your son to die for us. I pray that the the amazing reality that uh, on the cross, all of our sin was paid for, all of our unrighteousness was laid on Jesus. And out out of the overflow of your love for us, you have given us all of the righteousness that Jesus has that we could never earn. Lord, we can could, we could never do enough to, to uh, put you in our debt. That's such a foolish thought to think that somehow our good works would make you owe us a favor of going to heaven. But instead, God, I pray that we would rest in the truth of what you have shown us through your word. That it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. That it's your unmerited, undeserved kindness. And when we rest in that, we can find the hope of eternal life. So as we sing these songs, be glorified in our midst, as we pray for one another, uh, may we our hearts be encouraged, as we partake of the communion elements, may you nourish our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray.